Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Among other things, 2020 has been the year of alternative data. While lockdowns and furlough schemes have caused Western economies to fluctuate wildly, investors have struggled to keep a handle on exactly what is happening. Alternative data has emerged as a fast-moving source of information which, with a bit of creativity and technical know-how, can provide an almost real-time understanding of the market. Today, as an introduction to the subject, I speak to the co-author of the book of alternative data, Saeed Amin, and I began by asking him how he first got into the area. I've been working in financial markets for 15 years um, as, a, as a quant, uh, developing trading strategies and analytics in FX, so originally um, in investment banks, places like Lehman and, and Nomura, uh, but now I'm working independently. Um, so I think it's it's always been something that I've been interested in looking at alternative data. So even in Lehman, I remember looking at Google Trends and, and that type of thing. So um, but at the time, it wasn't really that fashionable. But these days, obviously, it's uh, something that not just quants are looking at, but um, others too. Um, that's one of the reasons why um, Alexander Denev and, and myself, we, we co-wrote the book, basically. Um, although I have to admit, it's his idea, it was his idea. He came to me to, to tell me about it. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, let's let's begin then, shall we, just by defining what is alternative data? As you say, it's an exciting buzzword at the moment, um, and it's had a it's had a very good year. Um, but so, for people who are new to the idea, how would you define alternative data? Um, I think I would just define it as data which is not traditionally used within the finance industry. So, typically, if we think of market data, that's um, that's very commoditized, and that's no longer. I wouldn't say that's that's an alternative data source. But then, if you think of uh, data sets derived from satellite images or or news data or that type of thing, I'd consider these more alternative data because typically they're not used quite as much. Um, maybe fast forward in a couple of years, I'm sure a lot of what we call alternative data will just end up being called called data eventually. Um, but then you might end up having new data sets that we've never even thought of coming to, to the fore as alternative data. So for traditional data, we're talking things like uh, company financial statements and uh, national figures like GDP. So alternative data is essentially anything which, which is non-traditional. Um, what would you say if you were to, to talk about the origins of the sector? Where, where, how do you see it um, having evolved? You mentioned that you'd seen it 15 years ago, perhaps with, with Lehman. Um, how, is, how is the sector, where has it come from? Well, just thinking about uh, the data sets, I guess back in the day, I suppose there were data sets maybe like Google Trends. Also, I remember at Lehman, actually, um, Ravenpack came to give us a talk, and now they're one of the leading uh, news providers. So um, the idea has been around for a while, but um, these days you have many more providers uh, um, in all, all sorts of different sectors. So Maybe it's been around for a lot longer, but but people didn't really call it alternative data in the same way that I suppose um, a lot of the techniques in machine learning um, have been around, like linear regressions, neural networks, etc., a long time ago. But now they've been bracketed under a term machine learning. So maybe it's kind of the, the terminology which is which is also new. Interesting. Yep. Um, I, I think that makes sense. Um, and so within alternative data, um, you've 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 touched on a couple of types of alternative data. Um, could you just perhaps just run through 
examples of alternative data in terms of just try and it's a very wide scope, but just try and reach your arms around everything which which comes under um, the the bracket. Um, I think there's. The, I would first of all look at various types of alternative data to begin with. So in particular, thinking about uh, text-based data, so that can be machine-readable news, social media, anything derived from the web, uh, reports. Um, you also have a lot of uh, data derived from uh, visuals, like satellite imagery um, and that type of thing. Um, then if you move on to consumer transactions, you might have credit card data, consumer receipts. Um, there's, there's just so many different types of, of data. And often it's, it's not, not necessarily numerical form to begin with. Or if it is more of a numerical form, such as consumer uh, receipts, you need to do a lot of work to basically clean it up and, and structure it into a usable form. Yeah. I mean, so for an example, I mean, and this is a bit anecdotally, but I remember a long time ago hearing about, um, you know, there was always very um, murky stories coming out of the hedge fund industry as exactly how they were they were achieving their returns. And there was there was talk of, you know, using satellite data to have a look at what the crops were doing um, in order to try and get ahead of um, what what crop prices were going to be going to be like in, in, in this year or, or whatever. Um, is that the kind of thing when you say satellite imagery, are we are we taking pictures of um, something like crops and, and trying to turn it into numbers? Or, or how, how would you see satellite imagery being used as an example? Um, I think one one way is definitely like you suggest in terms of uh, uh, trying to understand things like crop yields and that type of thing. Um, another way is um, this is and this is the example everyone always brings up is like the archetypal uh, alternative data uh, case study looking at the number of car parks um, uh, next to retailers and then counting the number of cars there. So you're trying to understand how busy busy it is. And even that simple approach can actually yield you something. Um, but obviously, as the market becomes, becomes more saturated with alternative data, everyone will kind of incorporate that into their forecast. And then it, be- then it will become a bit more commoditized over time. And then um, just more um, use cases. Let's talk a little bit about, for example, um, NLP, which is which is natural language processing, um, which is taking words essentially and turning them into um, usable data. So either either extracting the sentiment from it or, or, or something like that. Um, what are you What are you seeing um, in terms of the the NLP sphere in terms of uh, alternative data? Um, it has many different use cases. So one use case that I've that I have, and I, it's a data set that my my company QMacro produces, is looking at uh, Federal Reserve communications. Um, so that's one example there, where you're taking a text-based data set and then uh, essentially computing the sentiment on it and to have a numerical uh, form in, in the form of a time series. So that's one aspect. You can also look at uh, news articles, uh, social media as well. Um, so one aspect is sentiment. You might also wish to understand uh, the volume of a, of a news article or, or, a sen- or a tweet, depending upon the subject and the topic as well. So there's many different tasks that encompass NLP. Um, and I'd say things like trying to understand the topic are also very important as well, um, because any sort of uh, approach needs to be uh, selective. So you're not going to look at the sentiment of all news articles or all tweets. You want to narrow in on the ones which are most relevant for your uh, use case. 
Yeah. So it's important to define um, what you're searching for very, very carefully before you before you do it, before you just go out there. Um, just on that on that foreign exchange and, um, and Federal Reserve example, is it more about speed or trying to read between the lines? Um, obviously, as soon as the uh, Federal Reserve will release its its statement on, um, you know, around a meeting, um, then that has market moving capability. So there is an advantage in a computer being able to read a statement like that and say, um, this is looking particularly hawkish, like rates are going to rise, or particularly um, dovish, like like rates will will fall. So, is it about the speed, or is it about trying to compare to previous statements? What where's the where's the value in that? Well, I think there's two ways, and I'd, I'd broaden it out to news data more broadly, text based data, not just for Fed. So, one way to do it is to try and trade the headlines as quick as possible. Um, but that is going to be very difficult. There's a lot of high-frequency firms out there um, who have very good technology. So in practice, it's going to be very difficult for you to trade, to be the first person to interpret, say, the Fed, et cetera, and then to try and trade off it. And also, I would say, at least from a very short-term perspective, um, often the market tends to be quite volatile and not altogether in one direction after a Fed statement. So that's one aspect um, to, to think about if you're trying to trade at a very high-frequency uh, but it's more, I'd say, trying to aggregate together a lot of different texts and to get a general idea of where the sentiment is going. Um, that's that's generally the approach that I've tried to use, whether it's with uh, machine-readable news or with uh, Fed communications as well. So just trying to get a picture over the recent past, whether we're getting more positive news or, or negative news. Um, also, the novelty of news is also important as well, and other other types of metadata which you might have tagged along with um, with a with machine readable news article trying to compare it so is it a game of um so in a way and that seems to be a, a lot of the case with a lot of alternative data it's not just finding the stream of data to 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 just it on its own it's about combining it with other sources in order to try and create a picture is that is that is that fair enough? Yeah, I, I would say so. So you, I, I wouldn't say that you would just use one alternative data source in your model. So if you're trading, let's say you're trading FX volatility, you might wish to have um, a news volume as, a, as an in, input into trying to forecast volatility. But you'll also have other inputs as well, like maybe the recent uh, historical volatility as well could be an input. Also, maybe a forward-looking event calendar as well, which and these are kind of more typical things that would people that people would use. So it's it's all about, I would say, augmenting your process as opposed to replacing everything, um, because there's lots lots of stuff that you still need to have in your models, which is which doesn't involve uh, uh, alternative data. So um, if you just stuck to alternative data, then you'd suddenly not have price in your models, <laughs> which is going to be a, uh, which is um, which is still, I'd say, probably one of the most important indicators. Um, uh, depending on your strategy, obviously, if it's a trend-following strategy, price is the, is the main input there. But yeah, it's it's all about augmenting it, and also I'd say trying to combine together different alternative data sets that can give you um, interesting results. So um, that, that that's that's a key, I'd say. Let's let's um let's let's keep exploring the the space a little bit more. Then um, I mean I think um, and I think your book mentioned that the, the most valuable at the moment is is credit card transaction uh, and it's obviously aggregated data rather than specific before anyone gets um, too worried about that. But um, in order to because that's the best way to 
directly and um, most swiftly get to the point of the matter, which is what are people spending money on? Um, are you is that where where do you do you see that fitting in as the major part of the sector, or or is that fading, or, or what what what's going on there? I'd say it depends what you're doing. So particularly, let's say you're looking at retailers, credit card transaction data is obviously going to be very valuable for for what you do. Um, but 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 again, we can combine it with different data sets. So going back to our example uh, about a retailer, if you've got credit card transaction data for a, a specific retailer, we can combine that maybe with satellite imagery of their car parking lots, and then we'll have two different, totally different ways of looking at their earnings. Um, so potentially combining the two can give you kind of a, a signal that will corroborate. So if, if if one is telling you there's been there's been a, quite a big jump and the other is also telling you there's a big jump, maybe it's it's time to go long that stock as an example. Um, okay, and so moving on to another area within within alternative data. Um, obviously, there's an awful lot of data coming out of out of people's phones now, um, and I and you your. I'm seeing a lot in, in discussions of alternative data than that kind of geolocation where customers are. Is that is that specifically uh, another retail thing? Is that another way of looking at kind of, you know, not looking at car parks, but looking at like footfall or, or are there other other benefits to that to that form of alternative data? Um, potentially. So one is one of the most obvious, I'd say, is footfall, uh, like you suggest. But I have heard of other use cases for, for geolocation data. So potentially maybe around industrial facilities as well. So uh, you might be able to sell if an industrial facility is down, depending upon the, the amount of, of mobile phone traffic uh, going through. Um, so that's something that you can look at. Obviously, when it comes to these types of data sets, whoever's um, looking at it, you need to have opted into being located. So typically, they'll, they'll end up being derived from data from apps. And you'll have opted in from uh, being uh, located based upon that. Do so that I mean it could be a good moment to to talk about talk about regulation because that because there's obviously difference in terms of the consumer um, in different countries and and, and different spaces. Um, do you do you see regulation as being a um, as being a major a major factor in the in the world of alternative data? Is it a is it a major consideration and is it is it likely to be to be changing and and um, changing in different areas? Yeah, it's definitely an important area. So you, you, you recently had in Europe, for example, GDPR. So that's had an impact essentially on alternative data sets and, and certain availability of some of them. Um, I think the key point is that the data can't have any uh, uh, personally identifiable um, fields in it. Um, and also you need to make sure that the data has been aggregated sufficiently so the, the, the person can't be uh, identified. Um, that's another important point as well. But that's one aspect in terms of personal data. But I would say also in terms of uh, reading data from the web. Um, so there have been various court cases about that. Um, uh, and, and but, but I think by and large with um, reading data from the web partially depends upon terms of, uh, it depends upon the terms of use of the website that you're looking at. Um, and in particular, I would say, um, and anything behind a paywall or a login or anything like that, I think is definitely something that um, is definitely a line that people shouldn't cross. Okay. Okay. Um, so getting back to the, to the broad, um, to the broad picture of, of alternative data, obviously 
2020 has been a a year where it's really um, discussion of it, and and it's really it feels like the its moment has come. Um, do you have a do you have any views as to as to why? I mean, what 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 has made it um, such a such a uh, valuable and attractive proposition all of a sudden? Well, I think the the unfortunate coronavirus outbreak has been one of the drivers because the economy has been changing very quickly over the over days and weeks in terms of changing behavior of, of people and the like. So looking at economic data can end up giving you a stale picture of the world. So having high frequency data typically derived from alternative data sets. So thinking about uh, mobile phone location data you have from Apple, you also have from Google as well, giving you activity uh, dependent upon the, the movement of, of mobile phones. That's been one way to understand the impact of things like lockdowns and the like. So it, it's essentially trying to give you a high-frequency picture about uh, about what's happening in the, in the economy, essentially. So giving you a high-frequency now cost, uh, essentially. So, And that's not just been something that quants have been interested in. Obviously, I'd say across the market, uh, people have been interested in that uh, more broadly. I mean, so for example, I mean, GDP data lands um, a month after the end of the end of a quarter. So if you do, as you're saying, if you do want to understand what's happening in France in this crazy year when when uh, where the economy has gone off a cliff, but it's gone off a cliff in a way that we've never seen before. So we've got no way to predict it. Then alternative data has been an incredibly good um, uh, guide, an early um, uh, early guide to to what official figures or, or, or what what the economy is looking like um, afterwards. So obviously, COVID has in some ways uh, proven the benefits of, of alternative data. Um, is there a uh, is there a is there a technical reason as well? Is it is it because obviously we hear about big data? Is that really played into? Um, yeah, so I think a lot of things have, have come to the fore. So um, given that a lot of these data sets are text based or they're image based, um, the machine uh, machine learning techniques for for structuring these data sets have got a lot lot better over time. So, and also computational power is getting cheaper. So, if we go back to our example about cars in, on a parking lot, um, you can use, for example, convolutional neural nets as as a uh, as a way of basically trying to identify the cars. And that technique is going to be a lot better than a lot of the, the rules based techniques that people have used historically to identify edges and, and, and so forth from images. Uh, and it's also the same with, uh, with text as well. So you've got better machine learning techniques for, for deciphering what's going on with text. And um, so a lot of the techniques for natural language processing um, historically have been more rules-based, things like bag of words, et cetera. But now you have uh, word embeddings that are often um, based upon machine learning ideas. Uh, more probabilistic approaches. So that's definitely helped. And yeah, the, the, the price of, of computing power is always dropping. So all these things have come to thought and also the availability of so much data as well. So no data, no, no, no analysis, basically. So. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned all the machine learning techniques, et cetera. I mean, where is that tending to happen? Um, who is, who is doing the crunching and who, where in the, where in the, what does the value chain look like? Where is that, the analysis happening? Um, I think the way to look at it, this is is an analogy of uh, of how they produce oil, and this is uh, actually uh, something we mentioned from uh, in the book. Uh, um, one of my friends suggested Rob Rob Passarella actually, so I end up writing it in the book. So you have kind of the raw data source, which is like extracting the crude oil, 
Um, and later on, you have kind of more refining of that. So that could be, it could be aggregating together different data sets or just cleaning the data set to begin with. And later on, once you've created indices, then to have um, trading signals off the back of that. So typically, I would say the er the earlier parts of it are, are things that a data vendor would typically do. When you get up to things like buy sell signals and trading strategies, that's more potentially what a what a fund would do. But you do, you do see movement up the up the the, um, the value chain. So data companies are increasingly trying to um, give people more structured and more easy to use data sets as well. So. Um, and that's particularly relevant for firms that don't have a massive quant uh, quant outfit as well. So, uh, but potentially, I'd say a lot of quants tend to want to to work with kind of raw data. It is more time consuming, but it gives you more opportunities potentially to to number crunch it. Obviously, there's a challenge because there's a finding the right data set, but then there's b when you have it, um, trying to do a thing with it, which your competitors aren't. So either you need to get the data set, which, um, which is, is exclusive to you, um, or which you probably would have to pay a lot for, or you would have to, um, to use a technique or combine it with other data sets in ways that other, which other competitors aren't doing. Um, do you have a steer as to, as to which side of that people are doing? Are they, are they, is there more value in finding the right data set or is there more value in the secret source that you do to it within your company? The thing is a lot of the details might end up being slightly different across uh, different firms. Um, but ultimately, if you end up with similar data sets, then my guess is that the signals are going to be kind of similar. Uh, there is a bit more scope for freedom in terms of when you combine together different data sets because then you have many, uh, many um, uh, possibilities essentially. So it's unlikely that two firms will end up combining exactly the same combination of, of data sets. Um, so I think I think you have latitude on both of those accounts. But ultimately, if the data set is in circulation, a lot of smart people are looking at it, um, and there is value to be had, then, then I would expect people to be able to generate alpha. Um, and it depends, I'd say, on the data set. Some data sets will have more of a capacity, um, others are going to have less of a capacity. But But I think in practice, even if people think they're doing something unique, I suspect somebody else across the market is doing something similar. But obviously, they're working <laughs> separately, so they don't ever uh, ever know, essentially. But um, that's that's just my experience of markets. Everyone thinks they're doing something unique. But then if you delve down to it and you talk to them, it's like, actually, that seems similar to what, to what I'm doing, essentially. You talk in the in the book as well about the risk of when something works, then there's a high danger that... Um, you get copied um and that uh a lot of people crowd into the same into the same trade and, and try and extract the same value which erodes the margin that you can which you can receive um so do you see that as a as a as a particular as a as a as a common effect a, a major risk in the sector um, i think that can be an issue particularly with those strategies which have low low uh, trading capacity um, because it's not going to take many more people to get involved on a certain data set or extract alpha from it. And then it kind of might render the, the strategy um, loss-making after a while. So that's going to be something that will impact some um, lower capacity strategies a lot more. I think high, even higher capacity strategies, potentially, you might have that impact. But it's, it's not going to be quite so obvious. Um, typically, with lower capacity strategies, the sharp tends to be quite a bit higher. Um, otherwise, why would you why would you you, you try to, to trade them? 
but that also potentially means that they could be a bit more fragile and susceptible to, to crowding in terms of uh, the, the negative impact. Okay. Okay. So uh, within the sector, where do you see the most excitement? Where is the most, I think we mentioned credit card transactions might be the most value. Is that, is that true? The most valuable, um, is that true? And where do you see um, the sector growing and the, and the, the future value coming from? Um, like I'm not sure necessarily whether credit card transaction is the most valuable, but if you if you're trading retail stocks and trying to understand retail sector, it's it's, it's becoming very important. I'd say um, precisely which data set is of value will depend upon the use case. So you might find that one fund like really likes a data set, another fund really hates it because they're just looking at it in slightly different ways. They have different trading approaches. Um, but but I would say in general, it really depends upon the um, uh, on the use case. I think typically what you tend to find in conversations is people will be quite happy to tell you that a data set doesn't work. Um, but generally speaking, the data sets that work pretty well for obvious reasons, people are going to be less vocal about them uh, to their to their peers, essentially. So um, there's definitely value in understanding which data sets um, have alpha and which which don't, because ultimately you will have to go through a lot of research work to identify data sets that really suit your your trading style and, and can deliver alpha for you. Um, it's not a case of simply fi- opening up a data and immediately finding alpha. In many cases, you might find that there's nothing there um, that you can extract. And what's the um, uh, we we haven't really touched on what are the what are the what are the drawbacks? What are the negatives? You mentioned that some people say data sets don't work um, and. A, a risk I'm aware with with alternative data is which you did touch on was um, the fact that uh, it is not as um, uh, it's not necessarily as clean as as as, as traditional data and and um, not as ubiquitous. Um, what are the what are the what are the drawbacks? What are the challenges with the with with the area? I think there's there's many challenges. So one one of the most notable challenges is the data history is a lot smaller. Uh, typically. So you might have the issue that when you do a back test to try and identify whether you can get alpha historically, if your data set is very short, it makes it very difficult to, to give a lot of credence to that um, observation. Um, on the other hand, if you end up waiting for five years of history, maybe somebody else has already harvested all the alpha out of that data set. So that, that can be an issue. Um, there are some data sets like news where the history is actually a lot longer, um, but others where you might be lucky to get even a few months. Um, few months, I'd say, is probably too short. You probably want at least maybe one or, or, or even better, two to three years at least before you uh, look at a data set. Um, so that's one aspect. Also, there's there's risks uh, around, um, uh, around using them in terms of, um, I guess, trying to understand the legal risks as well. So you've got to make sure that any data you get is fully compliant. That's an important risk as well. But on the flip side, I'd say the, the risks are if you don't use it, then your competitors could and they could generate alpha. So there's, there's also risks, and I'd say this is probably a bigger issue in that there are risks around not using it. And you might end up being way too late to the, to the, to the game, and then your competitors have already not only harvested a lot of alpha from existing data sets, but they've already built up a process. And that's really important. Over time, you want to build a proper process for, for using alternative data. Um, and that's not something you can just switch on overnight. It's a gradual thing that you need to, to go through in your fund. Do you have, um, I mean, do you have an, a kind of an anecdotal view? Obviously, you're in the sector, you use alternative data, you've written the book. Do you have an, an anecdotal view on just how quickly it's growing and, and that risk that, you know, you're going to, people might be left behind if they don't get involved? 
Um, I think there are there are risks, and and I do talk to a lot of people who say they want to get involved in the space, and um, I think people want to get involved, but it's a it's a it's it's a difference between wanting to get involved and actively starting to research it and and trying to to um, to do the research work. Hmm. What's the what's the easiest way for a newcomer to alternative data? They've just they've just come across the idea. They've just Googled it. They found this podcast. Um, what's the, what's the, okay, let's say, um, I mean, I don't want to say so you're an asset manager, you're a discretionary asset manager, and you're thinking that um, you need to be getting alternative data into your, into your, um, into your thinking a little bit more. Obviously, first thing to do is buy your book um, and read that. <laughs> um, but, but then beyond that, um, what's, what's the first the first step, the first thing they should Google. Well, I I, th- I think in terms of uh, obviously, I get get Alexander and my book basically to begin with to give you an intro definitely. Um, but I, I was trying to understand what are your use cases. So what do you trade? So if you're trading stocks, do you want to look at earnings calls? Um, do you want to try and improve certain forecasts, uh, or do you want to use a specific form of data data to, to answer that? So you need to think about what types of questions you want to ask, because once you are you're able to ask that, then you can think about what types of data sets you would look at, what type of expertise you'd need uh, in particular, um, and just as I say to begin with, you'd probably want to look at relatively structured data sets because they'll be easier to use. Um, you don't want to look at very, very raw data if you don't have that quant capability in-house um, uh, to begin with. Um, potentially, you might need to hire people. I think that's that's very likely as well if you want to use these types of data sets. How much, how much, is there, how much is available on a kind of retail basis in terms of, look, I don't know alternative data and I want to get into it. Is there, how much of a market is there just to buy the finished product and 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 get in like that without having to onboard too much um, uh, capability? Um, I think it just depends on the data set. So you can have, for example, earnings per share estimates, which have uh, basically been aggregated from unusual in unusual ways. From um, so one example that is a company called Estimize. So they crowdsource their earnings per share forecasts. So there you could just use it like an ordinary earnings per share forecast, but but the actual people being polled um, is a large crowd of people, not purely the sell side. Um, so that's one example of a data set which probably looks relatively similar to a traditional one, even though the um, the actual output could end up being quite different. Um, and then just look, thinking about news, rather than reading in news articles directly, you might be able to, to find, say, indices which actually aggregate sentiment for different assets. So there you, again, you can just use it like a time series instead of having to delve into the um, the text yourself. And, and this is probably the, the same for many alternative data sets. As they become more mature, products, index products get get created off the back of them to make it more accessible to um, kind of um, uh, less sophisticated investors who don't have as much um, quant expertise in house. Um, that, that's the way that I would potentially look at. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you have quant firms who, who kind of very keen to do their own analytical work. So they probably want to have the data set with less um, less structure, essentially, to, 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 to have more freedom in how they um, number crunch it. Got it. Makes sense. Fantastic. Well, I mean, obviously, from all of that, the main thing that anyone needs to do is buy the book. So that's if, if that's um, what 
to any takeaway from this conversation is buy the book of alternative data by Alexander Zanev and Saeed Amin. Um, Saeed, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I think this has been a really useful uh, opener and introduction to alternative data. Um, and yeah, thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And uh, let's hope that people pick up the alternative data button. So. Absolutely. Thanks, Saeed. Thank you.